You are listening to Down Home. Viola Desmond. She's more than just the woman who replaced Sir John A. MacDonald on her $10 note. She was a teacher, businesswoman, social activist, and she's also a relative of Jay Jones. Jay has known this for a little while, but during our visit to Nova Scotia a couple weeks ago, Jay had an insightful conversation with his great Aunt Jean. And Aunt Jean gave Jay some of her personal memories of their relative, Viola Desmond. I'm Derek Wise, and on behalf of Jay Jones, welcome to Down Home, the Nova Scotian experience by two black men. Born July 1914 in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Viola Desmond was one of 10 children. Her father, Albert Davis, like many black Nova Scotians, was a descendant of black loyalists that came to Canada following the British defeat during the American War of Independence in 17, that ended in 1783. Viola's mother, Gwendolyn Irene, was the daughter of a white minister that emigrated to Nova Scotia from Connecticut. Viola's family lived in a middle-class sort of life in the north end of Halifax. Her father made a good living as a stevedore, and then he owned his own barbershop later in life. That hard-working entrepreneurial example wasn't lost on Viola Desmond. She graduated from high school with very good marks. One of my research resources described her as a gifted student. Early on, Viola aspired to become a teacher This is where she would run into the first of many roadblocks that many ethnic minorities had to deal with at the time, especially in Nova Scotia. Teacher colleges in Nova Scotia did not accept black students in the 1930s. This did not slow Viola down. She studied on her own and earned a teacher's certificate by completing a provincial test. She could only teach in black-only schools, which she did in Upper Hammonds Plains and Preston, two of many historically black communities in Nova Scotia. Feeling the drive to follow her father's footsteps with his barbershop, Viola wanted to open her own beauty business. Much like the teachers' colleges, beauty schools in Nova Scotia did not accept black students. Again, Viola did not let this stop her. She ended up studying at the Field Beauty Culture School in Montreal. Eventually, Viola opened V's studio of beauty culture in Halifax in 1937. She also created her own beauty school for young black women, where up to 15 students graduated per year while it was open. This also coincided with Viola launching her own line of beauty products aimed at women of color. I don't think it would be an understatement to say that she found a little bit of success. Fast forward to November 8, 1946. Viola made an unplanned stop in New Glasgow, Nova Scotia after her car broke down on her way to a business meeting in Sydney, Nova Scotia. She was told by the mechanics that repairs would take a few hours, so she rented a hotel for the night and decided to see a movie to pass the time. 
she made her way to the local movie cinema called the Roseland Theater, purchased a ticket for the main floor, but unbeknownst to Viola, the ticket seller gave her a ticket for the balcony section, which was unofficially reserved for blacks only. She made her way to the main floor, where the ticket taker informed her that her ticket was for the balcony. Thinking that an honest mistake was made, she returned to the ticket seller, but was quickly informed that the ticket seller was not allowed to sell her tickets to the main floor or, quote unquote, we can't sell tickets to the main floor to you people. So this is an example of where Jim Crow laws might, they, they were not actually codified, meaning it wasn't in law, but in Canada, there were social mores practiced. So unofficially, the main floor was for white people, the balcony was for black people. Now Viola ignored the bigotry of the employee and took a seat in the main floor area of the theater. Now while seated, she was confronted by the manager, Henry McNeil, who said to her that the theater had the right to refuse admission to quote-unquote objectionable people. Viola pointed out to the manager that she had been sold a ticket and was willing to pay any difference between the balcony and the main seating area. Now when she refused to leave her seat, police were called and she was dragged quite forcibly out of the theater, injuring her knee in the process and was placed in jail. Approximately an hour had passed when police chief Elmo Langill and theater manager McNeil met Viola in her cell with an arrest warrant. There she spent the night. In the morning, she was charged with attempting to defraud the province based on her alleged refusal to pay a one-cent amusement tax, which happened to be the difference between the balcony and the main floor seating area. The judge fined her $26, which was made up of a $20 fine and $6 in court fees. Even though Viola paid the fine, she refused to accept the decision and took her case all the way to the Nova Scotia Supreme Court. Before I continue, a couple things really stand out to me in this story. Why the hell was the theater manager at the jail? Also, Viola was not offered any type of legal assistance at the time of her being placed in jail. And really? One cent? Even though these things stand out to me, they are not really surprising. Yes, there was no official Jim Crow laws in Canada at the time, but oh boy, Jim Crow was here. A few years after the theater incident, Viola Desmond's marriage fell apart, and she made the decision to fold up her businesses and move to Montreal. And then later, she moved to New York, where she actually died on February 7th, 1965, at the age of 50. Who knows what type of toll the theater incident took on her personal life. Long after her death, her story started to receive public attention, mainly because of the efforts of Viola's sister, Wanda Robson, who penned a book about Viola called Sister to Courage in 2010. Also in 2010, Lieutenant Governor Mayanne Francis granted a posthumous pardon of the charge that was levied on Viola back in 1946. Wow, the strength and courage it must have taken for a black woman alone to stand up to all those white men during the Jim Crow era. I'm sure Viola made an impression on everyone around her 
during her life. One person that she did make an impression on was Jay's Aunt Jean. Jay's Aunt Jean is an impressive person in her own right. Her full name is Jean Clayton. She married Reverend William P. Clayton and worked in the church community and congregations in Nova Scotia for over 50 years. She's a published author and poet, and Aunt Jean is 89 years young. Here she is as she talks with Jay about Viola Desmond. What did it look like to you? What frame of mind did it put you in? Well, I was 14 years of age when Viola Desmond, uh, the incident regarding Viola Desmond Mm -hmm. and racism occurred. Mm -hmm. Viola Desmond was my aunt in that she was married to my uncle, John, known Mm -hmm. as Jack Desmond. Uncle Jack. (laughs) And even though I was quite young, I admired her greatly, not only as a person who ran and operated a successful business, that is, a beauty school, mm-hmm. and, uh, but the fact that she was, she would visit our home from time to time, she and my mother got along beautifully, mm-hmm. and as children, We thought she was great because, not only because she was pretty (laughs) and very, always beautifully dressed, a very glamorous, attractive Mm -hmm. person, woman, Mm -hmm. who seemed unaware of how how lovely she really was, and which added greatly to her charm. Mm -hmm. I recall when I got married, that she gifted me with a beautiful, I smile now, mm-hmm. a fake fur jacket. Right, right. It was white. Mm-hmm. It was a touch of luxury that I, a newly minted pastor's wife, black pastor's wife in Nova Scotia, could not afford. Mm-hmm. And it was so thoughtful and considerate of her and a testament to her character that she would understand that and would seek out a gift, such a gift as that, Mm -hmm. which I cherished and enjoyed. The other association that I might, that I had with my Aunt Viola was the fact that there were seven girls in my immediate family. I had six sisters. One died quite young, so that left me with five sisters. Mm -hmm. We used to have a great deal of fun with Aunt Viola because she often generously offered, generously offered to uh, do our hair, as we called it. Mm -hmm. Uh, My mother, looking after five girls, with different (laughs) quality of hair, Mm -hmm. had quite a struggle to keep us looking as we should. So we used to uh, keep tabs on each other as to uh, whose turn it was Mm -hmm. to have our our hair done, as we called it, by Aunt Vi, who generously 
fit us into our very tight and busy schedule. Right. Wow. So we 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 rejoiced in that. The other uh, another memory that comes to mind quickly is that I was fortunate to be the first one of my siblings to graduate from high school. But uh, during my teen years, my mother was often hospitalized. So it uh, fell to me as the oldest girl to try to fill her shoes. Mm -hmm. She was occasionally allowed to come home for the odd weekend and we, of course, rejoiced in that. Mm -hmm. So when the time came for my graduation prom and ceremonies, a problem arose in that we couldn't afford, our family could not afford to uh, buy a graduation gown for me. And uh, so my mother, from her hospital bed, suggested that I speak to Aunt Viola's mother, Mrs. Gwen Davis, who was the, a seamstress, and ask her to uh, make a gown, graduation gown, for me, that I was to go pick up a pattern, dress pattern, and ask her if she would do so, would make a gown for me. Mm -hmm. It worked out beautifully in that Mrs. Davis made a lovely gown for me. And with great pride and joy, the day of my graduation, I went to hospital where my mother was, and I showed her, I showed her the gown that Mrs. Davis had so beautifully made. And my mother was very thrilled and so happy and so proud. Mm -hmm. And just a footnote in that when I was in grade 11 and was moving on to grade 12, my mother was in hospital at that period also. Mm -hmm. my, I remember my mother asking me, saying to me, you've done well, you have grade 11, maybe you should stop there given that you have the care and the responsibility of your younger siblings in my absence. And I remember saying to her with love and respect, oh, mom, I want to be the first in the family to graduate from grade 12. Mm -hmm. Even though it's hard, I would like to give it a try. And so with her permission, I persevered. And it was a struggle, but I made it and I received my high school diploma. And looking back over the years, it was one of the wisest decisions I had ever made because in, at that point in my life, in the times in which I grew up, a grade 12 certificate opened doors. Mm -hmm. uh, it was highly considered and was more or less a passport to good employment. Mm -hmm. and and that's what I was hoping for for and looking at towards my future. Right. And it panned out and it worked out that that was indeed the case during my lifetime. Mm -hmm. One thing I've noticed about the family actually is complexions. 
and fairly some of them are fairly light skinned like you know even granddad was uh, very light skinned i don't know where the sort of light complexion comes from on our side of the family even my grandmother irene she's more light skinned and but on bev isn't you know well interesting you should ask me that jason because it uh i can honestly say that looking back, it never it it was never an issue that arose. Okay. Um, color consciousness within a family, black family, mm -hmm. just never came to the forefront. It just was non-existent. Right. Interesting. Yeah. But what about outside of that 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 realm? Like when you were going to school and being in those, you know, those times. Like, were you picked on? Were you? Uh, you know? um, well, having grown up in a uh, largely, predominantly black community, mm -hmm. but yet living in a specific area comprised of Italians, mm -hmm. Irish, uh, white folk um, on our block and on our street, mm -hmm. it seemed to be uh, overt racism didn't seem to uh, be to the forefront. Enter the enter the community as much as it, yeah. you you think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and is this on Maynard Street? Maynard Street okay. in yeah. North End, Halifax. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. That that well, okay. That leads to this uh, interesting thing. Like, um, yeah, I mean, the North End is a huge community. Do you ever get a chance to visit the North End now? I have been back to my na old neighborhood mm -hmm. several times mm -hmm. since I grew up. Mm -hmm. It, of course, given time, has changed greatly. It's been gentrified. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Gentrification is a big word these days. Yes, and yet my home still stands. Mm -hmm. Yes, it doesn't look exactly the same, but, it's but still it there. is still there. I might try to see it, actually, because I... I never saw that home. Okay, can I tell on myself? Jay's Aunt Jean goes on to describe her curiosity-filled youth in the north end of Halifax back in the 1940s and 50s, which we'll cover in a future episode. Jay and I would like to thank his Aunt Jean for being so gracious with her time and adding some context to our episode about Viola Desmond. Documenting the life and times of our Scotian elders is important, very important. You have been listening to Down Home. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. From the one down below to the future of the funk, getting lost in the flow. Contact with the spot, McX. Now it's time to flex with the force from the soul, reaching all aspects, getting deep, no time to sleep. As you reach Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Down Home. 
Stay tuned at the end of this episode, Jay will be performing one of his Aunt Jean's poems. I just laugh with the joy of a beat boy, just kicking it live. A connection so strong, transcribed with the vibe like magic prescribed. Only to seal a perfect blend like a diamond in the rough. Ready to drop a perfect gem, it's time to shine so fine to see what you find. Revolution starts with the evolution of the mind. It's a rhythm of circumference that rotates around to the surface with a purpose. Breaking new ground. The song. Breaking New Ground from The Breakdown. The Family Jones, the pride coursing through my bones, means I'm a member of the Family Jones. I'm a link in a chain of invincible stock whose legacy is more than carved in a rock. It lives on in me and those are mine. Most blessed are we of all mankind. Our forebears gave all without any stint and I dare to follow in their giant imprint. War heroes some, simple folks at best, God-fearing people who stood the test of life like noble trees, knowing how and when, when to bend. Yes, the pride coursing through my bones means I'm a member of the family Jones. Thank God for our parents, the example they set, following after God's not through with us yet. So many thoughts keep whirling around of our Jones jubilee, some funny, some sound. I look in the face of faces of my sisters and brother and see my heritage unlike any other. Our mother shines forth in each one that I see. Will my daughter see my mother when they look at me? Our youngest brother, in so many ways, reflect our father. How he moves, what he says, the nephew, the, the nephew, the nieces, a great niece too. Three generations, may God bless you. The pride coursing through my bones means I'm a member of the family Jones. It's been a wonderful coming together. We all enjoyed the beautiful weather. My siblings and I are no longer young, but we each have songs waiting to be sung. We each have hopes, dreams we hold dear. God grant we come together again next year. Let's set a date and let's keep to it. Give it priority. Let's just do it. Because the pride coursing through our bones means we're members of the family Jones. Annie Jean Jones Clayton, August 2006. Family Jones.